Uh, hello and welcome to yet another episode of The Big Rishi, the TLDR podcast where we cover the first 100 days of Rishi Sunak's premiership. Um, uh, we are on day 91, uh, so only a few days left to go, and I am here with Ben Blissett. Um, what's your job? TLDR lead writer. UK lead writer, yeah. yeah. And Rory Taylor. Uh, social media coordinator. Nice, very smooth. Um, hello. And today I think we basically have, well, we have two topics that we want to talk about. You know, we'll see where the conversation takes us. But the two topics we want to talk about t- today are Nadim Zahawi, um, currently Minister Without Portfolio, who's just been, if I'm right, he's just been charged by HMRC. Um, well, yes, it's just come out that he had to pay a penalty. It's just come out that he had to pay a penalty. And Boris Johnson, who yeah. is always in the headlines um, this time, <clears throat> because it turns out he took out a credit facility of about £800,000 while he was Prime Minister. Um, and it was arranged slightly dodgily. So let's start with Zahawi. Um, mm. Ben, do you just want to run us through what's happened with Zahawi? What do we know about it? Yeah, so this actually relates to... This actually happened last year. Um, all of this sort of happened while he was Chancellor or, you know, he'd just finished being Chancellor. So it sort of spanned through last year, um, his dealings with HMRC. But all of this actually relates to... I don't know how many people know this, but he set up YouGov, which is a huge polling company in the UK, Um which does a lot of really good work. Um, but he, he was one of the founders of YouGov. Now, it relates to his shares in the company. So originally, it was founded in 2000. He got 42.5% shares in the company. Now, instead of taking those personally, he uh, had those shares put into a trust fund known as Balshaw Investments. That's his family's trust fund. And that's where the problems sort of begin. Now, this trust fund is registered in Gibraltar, which doesn't have the equivalent of capital gains tax. So he hasn't, he didn't have to pay any, you know, he, he's, it, it's been estimated by a, a, a very well educated and very good at this story. He's called, um, called Dan Needle. So yeah. he did a lot of the investigation into this story. He estimated that um, Zahawi saved about £3.7 million in having those shares issued in uh, Balshaw Investments, which are registered in Gibraltar rather than in the UK. Now, uh, in his investigations, he started to have a dialogue with Zahawi, trying to ask why this is, those... This is Dan Needle. This is Dan Needle. Dan okay. Needle had a, a dialogue with Zahawi, asking him, why were these shares put in Balshaw Investments? Do we know who Dan Needle works for? He works... Or is he an independent journalist? He, he has... something. Yes. Uh, okay. He, he runs like a like website a... called uh, taxpolicy.org. There we go. So he does, but he's been looking into, and, and all of his investments have been very, uh, investigation has been written up very well on, on, on that website. So he's a, that's a free tax lawyer Danny Needle. and investigator, I think. Okay, nice. So, yeah, yeah, so he's, anyway, so he, he started to ask, why were these shares issued um, to uh, Balshaw Investments? So his first argument, because his father is basically very involved in the trust fund, so it's all to do with why his father got, because he has control over the, or he has a lot of control over this trust fund. Why does his father have uh, all these shares? All so these shares. his first, the, the first argument that he made was that he provided startup capital. Now Dan Needle found out that uh, firstly, it probably this all relates to a seven thousand pound figure that was paid early on, um, and it may have not actually been paid as a startup because it, it, it may have been paid about two years after the company was founded. And not only that, but um, Cop, this, this person called, uh, I, 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 his first name escapes me, but uh, he paid about £287,500 for 15% of the company. Oh. Uh, so you wouldn't so expect paid, to get 42.5% of the company for £7,000. Okay. You'd expect to get less than 1%. So oh, you're dear. underselling your shares at that yeah. point. Um, and 
uh, the, then the uh, Zahawi sort of moves on and disregards that argument and says that his father provided him with a lot of assistance with setting up the company because he, uh, Nadim Zahawi, had never run a company before, so his father had helped him, which you know is understandable. Any father probably would do that. But for all of your shit, for for forty two and a half yeah. percent of the company, which which you know is valued at quite a lot of money, mm-hmm. to then just be completely given to your father in return is huge. And that also begs the question: uh, if you know that that then makes it an exchange, doesn't it? Yeah. That you're providing services for a value. Yeah. And if that's the case, then VAT has to be applied on that. And you know, when we're talking about four to two and a half percent of a you know a company that's you know has a lot of money already been put into it, that comes out quite a lot. So there's a lot of questions that had been asked. Um, the the slightly embarrassing thing for Nadim Zahawi is that his lawyers sent some letters to Dan Needle, uh, expecting them and wanting them to remain private. Uh, Dan Needle looked into this and found out you could actually publish them. And we actually have. He's published them. We've, we've got copies of those. And they are awful. They're just terrible. <laughs> They're absolutely awful. Um, it's, it's some of the just snotty phrases that are in there. Um, however, our client considers that you overstepped the mark today by accusing him of lying to the media and public in explaining the contributions of his father to YouGov. And there's a few other things in there as well. Um, just one other thing that I should have brought up a little bit earlier as well is that... Um, Nadim Zahari, when this all first came out last year and was, he was, Dan Needle started his investigation, um, was, went on the record a number of times saying that he didn't personally benefit um, from the trust at all. Uh, it then came out that he received a £99,000 dividend from the trust. So that's where this accusation of lying comes from. It's peanuts. Is, is, that he yeah. said, is that he said, I haven't benefited from the trust. Yeah. And then it came out that he got £99,000 from the trust. Yeah. So that's where the term... Nadim Zahawi's lied about this has come from. It also feels like he's sort of lied in that he originally said it was a startup thing yes. and he switched mm-hmm. his story to say it was his father's uh, the Switching the story is, is yeah. remarkable as I mean, well. It might not count as a outright lie but it feels at least a little dishonest yeah yeah exactly um and there's there's a bit of back and forward about some people who started um who who were involved when it had first started and the involvement of nadim zahawi's father um daniel has a couple of people who were working there originally said they never saw him never had any um, knowledge of him um going on the record saying that the company yougov has had no involvement with his father and continues not to there were some other people that the lawyers have brought out saying that, yes, no, that they, they recall that he helped somewhat. But the whole point with all of this is it's particularly embarrassing. It's uh, the fact that these letters are, are embarrassing. The fact that Nadim Zahawi has used lawyers to try and hush people up and try and, um, you know, threaten get them to into stop, silence, threaten basically. them into silence yeah. is a, a great phrase for it. Exactly. Uh, is not very good. And the fact that it's now been revealed. So what, what's happened this week is it's come out that uh, Nadim Zahawi had to pay a fine to HMRC, a penalty to HMRC. Uh, He had to pay it last year, potentially even when he was Chancellor for this whole saga. Um, So it's only just been revealed that that had happened. This hasn't happened in the last few weeks. It's just come out in the last few weeks. Do we know how much the fine was? We don't know exactly how much, but there is some speculation it's about £5 million. So potentially, because you'd expect to I think what I saw was that it was... So the, the overall thing was a settlement. So obviously he had to pay the tax he already owed. Yeah. So he did that. And then on top of that, there was a 30% penalty. Exactly. And the total of that came to just under £5 million. Exactly that. Okay. Awesome. So which, which works out with the figures that Dan Needle came up with as well. Because if he avoided about £3.7 million, brings it up to about, you know, yeah. roundish £5 million. Again, peanuts, you know, <laughs> for, for all of us. Um, and I guess that's the bit that cuts through, isn't it? Mm. It's the fact that he's had to pay a penalty for what feels a lot like, I don't know what the technical term is, but feels a lot 
like tax evasion as a chancellor and yeah. that's the sort of irony it just feels very yeah. sleazy the man it? in charge of the country's finances and yeah in you know in charge of hmrc technically negotiating and then paying a penalty to hmrc for not paying enough tax yeah when, yeah you exactly. know if you're just a regular person and you underpay your tax they'll they'll be pretty prompt in getting you to make sure you pay yeah pay it in full i mean obviously politics this aren't great i yeah. mean it's a bad story in and of itself but in the context of Sunak's sort of implicit crackdown on Tory sleaze, mm. it looks it looks a little bit silly, doesn't it? So what do you think Sunak is going to do about this? I mean, the obvious move would probably be to sack him. Mm. Uh, and I think in normal conditions, that's what you'd expect. He's currently minister without portfolio, but he is still in cabinet and he is chairman of the Conservative Party. So yeah. you'd expect some sort of disciplinary action. Have we got any sense of what Sunak's going to do? Well, he's already instructed his ethics advisor to look into the matter. So there's a uh, sort of ongoing investigation into this. Um, I think it's it's relatively well understood now that Sunak is really not happy about this. That he didn't. I think there was something that he didn't originally realise that was it. How he lied. Yeah, I, I think basically there's. It's kind of been going on since last week, and uh, it's this classic thing where the government will say things about the story, and then more things will come out, and it's like, well, I wish I wish we knew that before we said the thing we just said. Um, and there are reports that yeah, Sunak is kind of unhappy about the way things have gone. Yeah. Um, so. But, but, you know, we are, we are at the point now where there is this investigation. So actually, all we're saying now is we'll wait for that investigation to It's a finish. classic move, isn't it? It's, it's classic, classic government move. Yeah. Got to wait mm. for Sue Gray. And um, the opposition, all the opposition parties have obviously said that Zahavi should resign. Uh, some people have said he should just step aside while the investigation takes place. He's, he says he's not going to do that. Um, he's, and he said that it would be improper to talk more about the subject while the investigation is ongoing, which is... Very I think I think he's actually got quite lucky, Zahawi, because if this had come out when he was chancellor, yeah. he would have had to have resigned in disgrace. Had to resign in disgrace when he was chancellor. Instead, he had such a sort of and brilliant the, stint. <laughs> well, well um, and this all sort of was happening when he was chancellor. So that that was a very real possibility. Plus the fact that it's now it's kicking the can down the road, isn't it? In in calling an in, um, you know an investigation, because as we saw with Sue Gray. It just meant that the government can deflect while the investigation's ongoing and then they've kind of got their fingers crossed and Zahawi will have his fingers yeah. crossed that this won't be as much of a story by the time well, the conclusions are deal with around. it at some point, won't they? Yeah. But I, I find it strange that Zahawi, of everyone in cabinet, Zahawi, I mean, he's well known, but he, he's not... You'd think you could get rid of him fairly easily without mm. shaking up government too much because he's minister without portfolio and chairman of the Conservative Party is important, but you can... Get yeah, rid you of can them find fairly, a new one. fairly easily. And does he know? Uh, you know has he got as many? Do you know where the bodies are buried as much as know, people like honestly. Gavin Williamson did? I, I don't think it's that he necessarily got leverage over him. I think the reason that he hasn't been so keen to sack him, I mean, he started this investigation, but you're right, it's a delaying tactic yeah. more than anything serious. Um, I think the reason he's so wary of sacking him is just because they, he's one of the very few competent administrators left in the Tory party. Mm. And once you sack him and you go, this guy, he's out of line, mm. you can't really bring him back in to become minister yeah. something else. And when you only have so many competent ministers available, you can't really afford to do that. I think that's what the interesting thing about the story is because you're right, in normal circumstances, sacking would be the obvious move. Sunak's personally quite grumpy with how this has panned out. Mm. It looks terrible, especially in the context of his crackdown on sleaze and this newfound thing of integrity. Um, but he just can't afford to because he hasn't got enough competent MPs left. Yeah. I think that we need to do, I think the Tory party needs to sort of invoke a one-in-one-out policy with uh, scandal. So when someone's removed, bring back someone who'd been uh, <laughs> yeah. kicked out in scandal. So maybe get rid of Zahawi, bring Hancock back. Yeah. yeah. I think um, that should be it. I mean, there's now, 
I mean, it's easy to forget, but Dominic Raab is still a justice minister and deputy prime minister. Yeah. He's currently under investigation for, you know, behavioural issues. <laughs> um, and bullying. Yeah, ac bullying accusations, I will carefully say. Um, you don't want to get a scary email yeah, from yeah. some lawyers. Um, but like, Accusations There's just like building up, there's building up of investigations now into yeah. people that, you know, at some point I guess they'll finish, but who knows when, you know, it's not a great look. No, it's really not. And I think the um, Sunak's uh, two predecessors were brought down with, you know, in scandal, but that didn't happen as the result of one scandal. Yeah. It wasn't just Partygate. It wasn't just sex scandals that brought Johnson down. So trust didn't go either just in, in one scandal. There was a number of different things that sort of brought her down, mm. um, whether that's the fracking vote the night before she went or her disastrous mini budget. And this here, this Nadim Zahawi scandal might not be something, something huge in of itself, yeah. but it could be one of the starter scandals. And if things like this continue to happen, they could start to build up with Sunak in the same way that it did with trust. Johnson. You yeah. think there's a chance, a chance of Sunak going? I, <laughs> I really don't. Think don't. So. I, don't think I think they'll just build up until the election, yeah. and it makes yeah. it more likely. Oh, yeah, lose, I think. I think. I think yeah. also. Yeah, I think the Conservative Party would be reluctant to swap leaders. Oh, they can't have the energy no. for another one, can they? I mean, that's exhausting. Surely not. But I think you're right. Probably the election. Though. But anyway, um, yeah. Mm. Uh, should we move on to Johnson? Another uh, corruption adjacent scandal. Yeah, mm. it is. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is a Boris Johnson story. Just the last, I was going to say, it'd yeah, be quite sorry. entertaining if that did bring Sunak down. And then this, Johnson returns, this yes. brings Johnson down. Oh, perfect. Then Mr. Harvey becomes leader. Yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> he is the obvious front runner. Yeah. Everyone I like put, the idea put of five on that. That's a good bet. Yeah. Everyone's talking about Johnson coming back, but no one's talking about trust. That is yeah. true. The trust return. I mean, for really obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, anyway, shall um, we talk about Boris Johnson? Yes, Boris so, Johnson and the BBC. So this isn't... Um, I'm going to say it. This isn't a Rishu for uh, Rishi Sunak no. specifically, but it is does play into the wider... I thought Jack not being here would mean we I never know, had I, to I, hear that People again. want us to say it, but it does play into the wider problem of the perception of Tory sleeves mm. that Sunak yeah. is... Uh, he looks you know, increasingly like he's struggling to deal with um, that is only going to damage them as we kind of run up to the next election. Um, so this was revealed by The Times, the Sunday Times, and uh, about a week ago they revealed this story about how Boris Johnson secured a um, credit facility of up to £800,000 from a distant cousin, a wealthy distant cousin of his, um, while he was Prime Minister. Always nice, isn't it, to have yeah, a wealthy great. distant cousin with £800,000 <laughs> available? Yeah, lovely. Um, that was while he was Prime Minister because he, apparently for various reasons, he struggled with the... Uh, Struggled with his finances while Prime Minister because he was earning about £150,000. It's more than that, isn't it? It's more like two fifty. Oh, is it? I think it is. Um, I might be wrong about that. Well, either way, he had it. various yeah. childcare bills and divorce settlements and quite a lot of things added up. Um, but a week after the Times broke this story, they then revealed that the current chairman of the board of the BBC was involved in setting up that deal between um, Boris Johnson and his wealthy cousin, um, which, for all sorts of reasons... Uh, is problematic. Um, I'll run you through the timeline that the Sunday Times has developed just so you can get an idea of, of how this went. So um, the couple of names you need to know, the current BBC chairman is Richard Sharp and Sam Blythe is this rich cousin of Boris Johnson's. Um, Sam Blythe uh, is also an old friend of Richard Sharp and Blythe heard that Boris Johnson was struggling with his finances and made it clear that he was willing to act as a guarantor for uh, you know, the loan of up to £800,000. Um, Richard Sharp, this was before he became the 
board, the chairman of the board of the BBC, he arranged for Blythe to meet with Simon Case, who's the cabinet secretary, so that they could discuss setting up this this credit facility for Johnson. Yeah. So uh, Sharp facilitated that meeting, and then had, says he has no says he had no further involvement other than that. Um, that was in early December 2020. Um, a couple of months later, or actually just one month later, the government announced that Richard Sharp was their preferred candidate for uh, to become the BBC chair, and he went on to become the chair mm. of the BBC. Um, so what it looks like, you know, to someone who might be very cynical, it looks like <laughs> Richard Sharp helped secure a big loan for Boris Johnson, and then a month later... Uh, was appointed the chair of the BBC. And he was recommended, wasn't he? Uh, that, yes. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. he was recommended by Boris Johnson. And, um, yeah. Or Johnson's yeah. government. Yeah, Johnson. Okay. I think it's the Culture Secretary and the Prime Minister have to agree on it or something. Well, it's fine, Rory, because it didn't say in the job application that they had to declare anything. You know, yeah, well, this, is, this is the other thing. Um, Sharp, for the record, Sharp says he, uh, quote, simply connected people and then had no further involvement whatsoever. Um, and he didn't discuss the personal finances at all. He just brought the people together and then stepped back. That's what he says. He says all uh, guidelines were followed and he was appointed on merit, not because of this reason. But the other thing is that he didn't disclose any of this, isn't it? Yeah, and so that's... there's quite a big appointments process to become the yeah. BBC chairman. Um, and in the actual job application that is written by the government, uh, it says you cannot be considered for a public appointment if you <laughs> fail to declare any conflict of interest. Candidates were also told to report... Uh, any issues in your personal or professional history that could, if you're appointed, be miscon misconstrued, cause embarrassment or cause public confidence in the appointment to be jeopardised. So, And that clearly falls yeah, under that purview. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no way that th that thing shouldn't have been declared during yeah. his um, appointment. Cool. There are two bodies that kind of oversee it. One is a parliamentary committee and one is obviously the actual interview panel that yeah. interviews the candidate. In neither of those cases did those two bodies know about Sharp's involvement in setting up this. So this. Sharp didn't make clear that either yeah, body. Yeah, basically he didn't disclose okay. it. Um, so where do we go from here? Uh, it's another case of there are investigations that have been launched. One is an internal BBC one into potential conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. And the second is the um, Commissioner for Public Appointments um, is going to review the appointment of Sharp to his role um, to make sure that it followed all guidelines and appropriate you know, things they're meant to do. Um, again, we have no idea when these things might might finish and when we might find out things, but Sharp has made clear he doesn't think he did anything wrong and that he won't step aside uh, either while it's happening or, you know, for good. Um, yeah, so th this is a... It's a Boris Johnson problem, but it's it's not just that. It's a, it's a Rishi Sunak problem. It's a Conservative it's a Tory party, party problem, yeah, basically. It's a yeah. party problem. Um, a bit of me feels sorry for Sunak because, you know, <laughs> even if he did really want to, like, change the party's yeah. image and get rid of this, all this toxicity, it's just endless scandals. Yeah. Even ones that preceded him, but they still hit the headlines. Yeah, the spectre of Boris Johnson is still very much mm. present. Yeah, from the grave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's possible that we could get to a point where we get a week where Nadim Zahawi resigns and the chair of the BBC resigns. I thought that might happen this week, but it doesn't look like it now. No, I think that's going to happen now. Yeah, yeah. The whole point of the investigations, or is it doesn't yeah. happen this week? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So again, I think we go back to one of the, other, the actually the main thing that amazes me about this story. Obviously, it's another sleeve story, and it's just more like dodgy headlines for the Tories. Mm. But the, uh, what, every time this comes up, it amazes me how poor, how much Boris Johnson was struggling for money yeah. as yeah. prime minister. I, can't I know it doesn't. It's just because he. I mean, in all his 
in the however many years that he was working as like a journalist, an author, a politician, preceding his becoming prime minister, you'd have expected him to build up some savings. Yeah. And he got paid mm. 250k a year for a Telegraph column that like, what is a couple of... Yeah. What was it? It was like a column a week, something, something like, that. like that. And he described that as chicken feed. So yeah. you can assume at, during that <laughs> time then, he was getting paid way more. Then he got than an that. advance for a book on Shakespeare that he hasn't written yet. Yeah. Mm. Um, and also, I read uh, that since since leaving office as prime minister, he spent like a few months living in living for free in some mansion owned by some very wealthy yeah. people. And in that same time, he earned over a million pounds for like four public speeches. I think I don't know where. Where's the yeah, money going? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's also, unbelievable. You, I mean, not just in government or in the civil service, but in most professions, you would not hire someone who was broke to the tune of eight hundred thousand pounds. You require an eight hundred thousand pound credit facility just because they're too open to financial pressure yeah. and to le like lever external leverage. And the fact that like the prime minister of the country <laughs> was borrowing money hand yeah. over foot from all these random people and also taking massive donations. This is, mm. this is exactly why you pay politicians a reasonable amount. I know that every now and then the, the issue of MP pay gets brought up and how much the prime minister get paid, gets paid and everything. But like the amount that, what, what is it, 120, 130k is um, I think that's minister? a ministerial one. I, I need to check. Yeah, or maybe it's slightly, it's slightly more. But, but that's, a reasonable, with, that's a reasonable oh, amount yeah, so to live on. on this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like an MP, I think it is genuinely difficult sometimes to. I mean, it's not a cheap lifestyle, and also 80k a year it puts you in top five percent of earners. Mm. But it's it's not the sort of money they can be making in the private sector. So I'm sympathetic to that argument. Yeah. But prime ministers, I do think I think it's well we find out what a prime minister makes. Is about it two hundred sixty thousand? Oh, it's only one hundred sixty thousand. Yeah. Wrong about that. But one hundred sixty k a year. That's quite a lot. Exactly. Of money. Yeah. That should get you through. But that, that's <laughs> really. why they pay that high amount. You get your house provided. Yeah, for and you get house yeah. provided. So you're not paying rent or anything with that. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, it's so that you're not subject to external financial pressure, and it's exactly that. With with that sum, you shouldn't. That shouldn't. You shouldn't be struggling. I would yeah. love to see his outgoing costs. They yeah. would be phenomenal. I mm. must have so many kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> must be paying school fees all over the place. Yeah. Um, but that that's a bit always like freaks me out, and also that's a bit that like makes me grumpiest about these stories is the fact that we like our prime minister was open to financial pressure for mm. such a long time, and clearly it's not even that expensive. I mean, like. If you're that broke that you need to find like random credit facilities from long lost cousins, yeah, you know how much can you be bought out for really? <laughs> and and I, I'm not, yeah, I, I'm not talking just specifically about this case, but but the kind of people who give money to, I mean, donating to a politician is one thing, but providing a you know a generous <laughs> loan of up to eight hundred thousand pounds is you're not doing that just out of the kindness of your heart. No. There's obviously some expectation for. You know, it feels like a sort of payday or... loan for posh people. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Much, like yeah. it's it's it slightly vulturish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you need eight hundred thousand pounds? I can give it to you if you loan it against the value of your politics. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, but that's exactly it, isn't yeah. it? That is why they do it. Yeah. There was one thing enough. about Richard Sharp I forgot to mention. Um, the BBC chairman. Uh, you can take what you want from this. It's kind of just interesting, though. He uh, was a former investment banker and was Rishi Sunak's boss, I think, at. Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan, or at least his superior, um, and also advised Sunak on COVID during the pandemic at one point. Um, God, I so need there to get is, in there these are a few jobs. little links yeah. there. Yeah. It's just, just the merry-go-round of yeah, top exactly. gigs. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Also, what, how does being an investment banker qualify you to be head of the BBC? I no idea. Yeah. 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 But apparently, was this the same uh, guy that did the COVID Prime Minister, response? frankly. He, was, uh, he wasn't the advisor. No, I think no, he was involved he... in, you know some advice i don't know exactly what that role was but either he's incredibly intelligent and knows a lot about a lot of different things yeah. or as i'm thinking is more likely he's just very well connected yeah and he also had donated lots to the conservative party as well um 
which is another thing. Yeah. But I, I worry that some of the stuff we say on here, there's, yeah. at some point, can, can well, we say, I, mean, I just want to say all of what I just said, but with allegedly just yeah. in a bit more but at like, that point. The, the government does have the right to appoint the chair of the BBC and they do get vetted by these panels and you hope that mm. the panels know everything they need to know. And at the time when Sharp was appointed, it, you know, the question was, you know, this guy donated to the Conservative Party, now they want to put him in charge of the BBC that seems a bit scandalous. That th- alone was scandalous. And now all of this just adds to it. I think what's interesting is that, again, in normal times, you'd expect these sort of allegations where it's not illegal, it's just a bit sleazy, yeah. to be f- sort of fine, sort of passable. But the fact that we've had so many, where it's mm. not quite illegal, yeah. but it's clearly sleazy. There's clearly a bit of, sort of nepotistic cronyism going on mm. in here. After a while, they feel worse than illegal things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Seatbelts, who cares? It's more just that there is clearly a pattern of bending the rules yeah. and, and trying to sort of get away with as much as you can that just undermines trust in the government and all sort of relevant public institutions. Um, and yeah, I think the main takeaway, I think we should end on this as well, is just that quite how bad the polling has slowly got for Sunak. Yeah. And all of these all of these scandals sort of play into it. And I think the latest polling, I mean, someone, one of you guys might know more than I do about this, but it does look like he's got about 20 point Labour got a 20 point lead over yeah. Sunak at the moment. There's been any honeymoon that he might have had in the polls has yeah. not materialised. And also, I think when we Sunak first came in, we assumed that there's, there's a massive gap between Sunak's poll ratings and the Tory party's poll ratings. Yeah. And I thought at least that they would converge towards Sunak's poll ratings. Because yeah. that's what's historically happened. That's yeah. why when David Cameron, for example, he was more popular in this party and the poll ratings converged towards his approval rating and he won. But the, the reverse has happened and I think some of it is to do with the fact that, and you wrote a video on this a while ago, Sunak has been too quiet and that mm. has, has led, allowed the headlines to be dominated by other stuff. Um, but I also just think it's that he's just, what he's trying to do is to associate people, to make people associate the Conservatives more with him and yeah. his sort of like clean professional brand than they do with the sort of sleaze and chaos of Truss and Johnson. But with these sort of headlines, exactly. yeah. you're just not going to make any progress on that front. And I do think people just continue to associate it with the past. I think, I think it, what's happening now is that he did want to do that whole s- slick professional thing and try and demonstrate that the Conservative Party's changed, but it just hasn't, so he's <laughs> staying quiet. Uh, also, he yeah. hasn't got enough, like, slick professional guys to, like, pr- provide that image. Like, yeah. if you want to do a David Cameron, you have to have a couple of yeah. Osbournes, yeah? You have to have a couple of people who make it feel like, actually, the majority of Tory MPs pretty sensible chaps. But at the moment, he's got, like, just him, and yeah. it's him desperately trying to sort of, like, patch <laughs> up little yeah. bits of parties. I saw a, I saw a tweet about the seatbelt thing and it said the seatbelt thing on its own is not important but it does contribute to what they call the Ed Millibandification of Rishi Sunak <laughs> which is basically the increasing image of him <laughs> the, the worsening image of him and the kind of increasing feeling that people just can't take him seriously yeah. and whether that's like in terms of minor stuff like the seatbelt thing or inability to deal with quite serious issues it's just it's just bad all round <laughs> it's bad all round yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think I think we covered everything. Yeah. We covered all we wanted to cover. Yeah, which is a bit of a success. I think we all basically agreed that Sunak's not doing very very well. We He's not co- doing well, but it's looking likely we'll make we, it to the end of the podcast yeah, in nine days. We no, called I think we'll get to the next last election. week his week from hell, but this week feels worse. It does, or an extended somehow. week from hell. Yeah. I think. Maybe we're getting towards a month from hell. Yeah, possibly. I think it's just the mundane crap news for him. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm. the fact that every week there's more crap news. It's it's quite astonishing, really. Anyway. um, What next week will bring? What scandal are we going to be discussing on here (laughs) next week? Very exciting. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Bigger Issue. 
Um, and we will be back in oh, probably a couple of days. I think we've got two more podcasts in us, yeah. no? Yeah, in mm. a couple of days' time for the penultimate episode. Yeah. yeah. Come nice. It's coming to an end very quickly. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to yet another issue of... No. Is that issue right? of the bigger issue. Big issue. Let's try that again. I quite like the rhyme. <laughs>